Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Twin Suns Transmission. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, joined as always by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys. Welcome to episode 187. Uh, and Jesse, we are finally there. I know last time we did our show, we uh, we kind of did a sort of prediction slash preview thing for um, The Mandalorian Season 2. And we finally have our first episode, so this is this is exciting. This is sort of the the Star Wars event of the year. Uh, without a without a movie, I'm I can't wait to to dive into the Mandalorian season two. It just feels like when it comes to not having a movie, I feel like this. I'm equally as excited about the Mandalorian than right. I would be a movie. Like I'm not. I don't find myself feeling like I'm missing out on something. Um, because the Mandalorian has just been so good. I'm so glad it's back. And we'll do a end of the year kind of discussion and and highlight all the great Star Wars things throughout the year. Because, I mean, this year there have, there have been some good things. You know, we got Squadrons game, we got Clone Wars season seven, and now here we are beginning with the Mandalorian, um, as well as a few other things have, have come out this year that are very exciting. But... I think this, kind of like you said, is sort of equal to a movie. And I think for some of us, it might even surpass a new movie coming out. But yeah. I'm very excited to to kind of get into it. We don't have a lot of news today, but one piece of news is not related to Star Wars. Um, I finally found out today that I'm going to be, or I am actually, an uncle. So... Yay! I'm very excited. Congratulations! With Thank a little you. youngling to yeah um, to conspire and get into Star Wars. You start them young. <laughs> yep. So my sister Lauren and my brother-in-law Cody welcomed Callie Jean Burge into uh, the family today. So I can't wait to to meet my little niece at Yay. some point. Yeah. So congratulations, Lauren and Cody. That's very exciting. Like you said, I'll have to have to get her get her started young on Star Wars. Yep. Get that kettle lightsaber. Yep. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, let's go ahead and begin our discussion on The Mandalorian season two. And I have to say that this season started with a bang. Much like last season, there was a surprise at the end, which we'll get to at, obviously closer to the end of of the show. But I think just overall. Chapter 9, The Marshal, really, I don't want to say it exceeded my expectations because I I always have high expectations for The Mandalorian. Every time a new episode comes out, I'm, I'm always stoked about it and can't wait to see what happens. But I am constantly amazed that every time an episode comes out, they are able to sort of create a hook every time. Yeah. And I'm, I feel like this season, especially, we've gotten a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors. So I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was kind of going into it feeling like I had been spoiled a little bit because we have gotten so many, you know, rumors from quote unquote credible sources. I've like accidentally looked on IMDb and things like that. But it, every, even when I, there was something I knew, it was presented to me in a totally different way that I wasn't expecting. And I was just super, super happy to, to be getting what was already kind of minorly spoiled through rumors and things like that. Cause that, you know, me and Eric, we always like to go in completely blind. Sometimes too many trailers is too much. Um, but 
but I was just so happy. Like I did not feel like I had been spoiled once everything was presented the way it was presented. They, they found, it's just amazing that, I don't know. We'll talk, I have more to say about it, but we should just get into it. And that's when I'll talk about it because I'm, I'm just so happy with it. I'm so excited. <laughs> So we are going to be talking all about Chapter 9, The Marshal, directed by John Favreau. And of course, if you have not seen this episode, go watch it. We are going to be talking about spoilers on this one pretty heavily. So uh, obviously we don't want to be the ones to spoil you, so go ahead and watch it now. But, Jesse, I will say that much like Season 1... The ending scene ended with a surprise, um, and we'll get to that at the end, but as it began, right, within the first couple minutes, Mando goes to see this person, um, he's trying to find other Mandos, right, and at the end of sort of that, that section of scenes, this guy tells Mando that the only Mandalorian that he knows of is on Tatooine. And I have to say, as soon as I heard that scene, like as soon as that sentence came out of his mouth, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that they're bringing Boba Fett. They're alluding to Boba Fett coming back within the first five minutes. I'm like, if if they are doing that right away, this whole season's going to be crazy. If you remember at the end and the end of season one, like the child, like that was the huge reveal. Baby Yoda. It was like the thing. And I'm like, are they really going to allude to Boba Fett this early, this early in season two? I'm like, I was I was not expecting that to be right out there like that in the open so fast. I know I was from that moment on, I think I was just screaming, oh, my God, Boba Fett. Oh, my God, it's going to be Boba Fett. Oh, my God, is that Boba Fett? Like, <laughs> yeah. like screaming the whole time. And Brandon saying, I had to, like, pause it right after that scene, too, to make sure that Brandon knew and remembered what the last thing that happened to Boba Fett was. Because he's like, he doesn't, like, obviously, he's not, like, a fan like we are. He doesn't remember a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I quick, really quick was like, okay, the last time you saw Boba Fett was here. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? <laughs> okay, ready? Let's go. Yeah. And then I like started it again. I was like, he's going to be here. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot that went into this part of the story um, with Boba Fett surviving the Sarlacc pit um, in Legends. You know, that's something that happened. I know we talked a little bit about it on our season two preview episode uh, with Dengar kind of going and helping Boba Fett survive and, and escape the Sarlacc pit. But and we'll talk about this here shortly, too. There are some books. The Aftermath series really kind of shed a lot of light on on expanding on the story that we got in the first episode of uh, Season 2. Uh, so Mando goes to Tatooine, and I have to say, I you know we talked a little bit about this as well on our preview episode. The things that The Mandalorian does and does well is incorporate all parts of Star Wars, previous parts that we had seen in other films or other parts of the story, uh, into this show, which really ties everything together. Going back to Tatooine, seeing characters that we saw in season one, like Pelly, right? You know, that was a huge deal. And just having that continuation and having her little, like, smart alecky comments and, you know, how much you want love for him? Pelly. Just kidding, but not really. You know, like, right? she's so cool. <laughs> Take him. Yeah. I love her. And she was so sweet about the droids thing. She was like, oh, nope, nope. He doesn't like droids. Like, she remembered. But Mando is cool with droids now. I guess IG-11 really sealed the deal for him. Yeah. And I think that's great to show his character growth. You know? I mean, if if your parents were murdered by machines, I would have a a massive distaste for them as well. You know? But IG-11 was able to kind of change his mind. And we got that character growth between seasons which I think is completely necessary for a show to continue on with the the power and the punch that this one seems to be continuing with. So we got to see R5 in that one as well. R5 kind of at the, at the, at the docking bay, which was pretty awesome. Zoomed in on his bad motivator. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I I think zoomed is, is stretch, but (laughs) (laughs) It felt like the whole screen was just his bad motivator to me. Yeah. (laughs) 
So we get Mando. He's searching for this this other Mandalorian that will help him kind of find the child's species and find the child's people. And on his journey, he comes across this character, the Marshal, at Mos Pelgo, which really looks like an abandoned town. I mean, there's not a lot of people there. It's very small. It definitely has that kind of old style Western feel to it. Yeah, it, it really brought us back to like, I know the Mandalorian, we've been talking about a lot about how it, the whole show in general has a Western feel. And I feel like Tatooine has always been like home to that Western feel. So they like really leaned into that for this uh, little, little town on Tatooine, which I thought was really fun. It was like just classic Mando walking in, all the towns, people stop and stare. Yeah. It's a new guy in town. <laughs> yeah. Kind of strolling through that center, you know, aisle, I guess, of the town with the people looking at you. Definitely had that feel. Now, we get to meet this character, Cobb Vanth, and he's got Boba Fett's armor. I mean, it is unmistakably Boba Fett's armor. It's got the symbols, it's got the color, it's got the paint. Granted, the paint looks like it's been through a sarlacc. Right. <laughs> some digestive juices taking away some of the color. Yeah. But to me, I thought that was awesome, though. You know, you can see the Beskar underneath and the green and, and brown and red paint kind of chipping, you know, even more so than normal. Right. It took me, I think, until that moment. And also, like, going back, I think they mention it in the aftermath, um, like you said, this character pops up in, in the aftermath. I think it, it was from re-listening just today to just the, I just listened to his little chapter in the first aftermath. I think he has other um, mentions throughout, but I think he mentions it in there. And he's like, oh yeah, those Mandalorians, they know how to make, you know, a good strong armor. And, and that was like when it like, I don't know why it's taken me this long to figure it out, but they're all, I didn't realize they were all like, like Beskar was just in general what is like the best material for Mandos to make their armor out of. Like, do how many more Mandos do we know that? How am I articulating this? Was that just what Mandos originally like when Mandalore was at its height? They all wore Beskar. Is that the deal? Did I miss that? Yeah, I think you know with Mandalorian armor, they all have the Beskar armor. The I don't know the origins of like where Beskar came from because that was one of one of my coworkers asked me that uh, this past week. I, I don't know like if it is something that's only found on Mandalore or if they like do they mine it. I don't I don't know where the metal itself comes from, but I know that Mandalorian armor is all Beskar, which is why it's his, so valuable. Because Mando's original armor. When we see him at the beginning, all he has is his helmet in Beskar. Right. Yeah. So that's I guess true. I was just seeing it as like obvious. Like I guess I wasn't sure. I guess I didn't think about it too much. I suppose about whether all Mandos were had Beskar armor, or if maybe just like it was just a very prestigious Mando that had Beskar armor. Um, uh, yeah. I honestly thought like every every Mandalorian had Beskar because I mean even Sabine, Vader literally reflects a blaster bolt back into her face and she's fine you know, um, oh, a yeah. little shaken up but maybe it was more prevalent like when Mandalore was still, yeah. you know I mean Sabine Mandalore wasn't at its prime at the time we knew Sabine but still like maybe it's less prevalent in the galaxy now obviously it's more rare so maybe less mandalorians have their armor made out of beskar at this time but all the previous ones we've known have maybe all been made out of beskar yeah i'm not sure i don't know exactly but um you know you kind of talked a little bit about uh the chapter and, and getting cobb vanth and i i brought up my books um i have a couple a couple passages from these books to kind of uh, talk about. And it's been a while since I read the Aftermath series. I just oh. remembered the character's name. And I was very excited when we finally saw Cobb Vanth on screen because, again, it shows the continuity. It shows the fact that this story group is taking bits and pieces from even small parts of other major trilogies like the Aftermath series and making them apparent to people 
you know? I wouldn't say the Darksaber itself is a small part of Star Wars, but to fans who have not watched the shows, that might be something that is a little bit, you know, they don't know what that is. Yeah, lesser known. But they're bringing it into the story with this series, and a lot more people will be aware of it. Right. So I think they're doing a good job I didn't remember this guy's name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And I didn't remember this guy's name at all. Like, I, it took until I was, like, kind of just perusing the internet today, and it was, like, Cad Banth from the, or how do you say his name? Cobb Banth. Cobb? Oh, boy. Cobb Banth from the Aftermath series makes an appearance in, appearance in the Mandalorian house. Like, what? Yeah. Like, I totally did not remember, and I had to go through my audiobook because it was just, like, in one of the interludes. So I had to sit in my audiobook and, like, <laughs> click every interlude and listen for, like, 30 seconds until I found it. Well, the funny part is I remembered there being an interlude of him in Life Debt, which was the second installment in the Aftermath series. And then you had texted me today and you're like, oh, my gosh, the interlude after Chapter 31 in Aftermath. I was like, that is not the one that I was looking at. Oh, I was after 30 minutes of my break trying to find it in my audiobook. Yeah. There's like no context in which to search through an audiobook. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting, and it definitely coincides with what we see and the story that Cobb Vanth tells about how he came in possession of this armor. And so we know that the Jawas sort of got Boba's armor from the Sarlacc. They scavenged the Sarlacc and, and kind of took bits and pieces from it. And again, I'll read some of the passages. But if you have not read it, um, I kind of want you guys to understand what is in the Aftermath series related to this. So I'm going to read little bits and pieces of this. And you guys, if you want to go back and read the whole thing, you can. I have the hardcover copy of this book, and it's on page well, the, the section I'm going to read is on page 300. I think the interlude starts 297. But essentially, it's, you know, this this first interlude follows this guy named Adwin, and he's actually part of this mining conglomerate, which we see parts of in the show. We see that mining conglomerate, or I believe in the book they actually call it the Mining Collective, but it's the same thing. It's the, uh, the Red Key Raiders. Uh, they're the mining group. And so uh, we follow this Adwin guy, and he's going to the Jawas to try and find some really good scavenged parts or droids or things like that from uh, the Jawas. And we know from the show that the the Jawas and Cobb Vanth sort of had this rapport, and they found him kind of running away from the mining conglomerate and so I don't know how much time actually passed between this interlude and where we see Cobb Vanth with the Jawas in the show but Adwin sees Cobb Vanth in the Sandcrawler and this is what it says on page 300 in the first Aftermath book. Adwin spies a large long box on the floor. He whips off the ratty cloth that's covering it and oh my. From the box, he withdraws a helmet, pitted and pocked as if with some kind of acid, but still he wraps his knuckles on it. The Mandalorians knew how to make armor, didn't they? Look at this, he says, holding it up. Mandalorian battle armor. Whole box, complete set by the looks of it. Been through hell and back. I think my boss will appreciate this. I actually think I might take that home with me, Cobb says. I think not, Adwin says, turning around. The helmet tucked under his arm. The blaster at his hip suddenly feels heavy, pendulous, eager to be drawn, a strange sensation. Adwin feels like he's really getting into the spirit of this planet. He's never had to shoot a man before. Maybe that day is today, an exhilarating feeling, oddly. Cobb grins, crosses his arms. What are you thinking, company man? See, I could really use that armor. I figure being a newly appointed lawman... Self-appointed, I think, Adwin says. But Cobb doesn't take the bait. Being a lawman, I could use some protection against those corrupt types who might think to seize the opportunity here on my planet. That armor is mine. So Adwin gets shot by Cobb, and he kind of leaves him alive so that he can go back and tell the, the leader of the mining conglomerate to kind of leave this sector. And so... Adwin sinks to the floor. He watches Cobb pick up the box of armor before heading to the to the door. And so I think that was sort of our first introduction to to Cobb in the first Aftermath book. 
so I thought that was kind of interesting and, and you know, it played out a little bit differently where he kind of traded the crystals for the armor in the show. But I think the point is, you know, this is how this character became into the possession of the armor. He got it from the Jawas. Other people were after it and so on and so forth. So I think that was a kind of a cool way to include this character's introduction, not only in the book, but also in, in the series. Yeah, I was really excited to see that we heard more about Cobb in the past. Um, you said he was in Life Debt also? Yep, so I'm going to pull that up as well. And I actually liked this one better, this this uh, edition of Cobb being in the book, because it actually focuses, much like the first part in, in Aftermath, the first Aftermath, followed Adwin. This one's actually a story about Malakili, who's one of my favorite characters. Don't ask me why. I like the Rancor Keeper. That's his name. Malakili. <laughs> yep. And... The whole first part of this interlude on Tatooine is Malakili feeling bad because he lost purpose. His purpose was to take care of Batissa, Jabba's rancor. And of course, we know what happened to Jabba's rancor. But a bunch of the, the people, a bunch of Jabba's palace members stayed back at the palace when Jabba's cell barge exploded and, you know, everyone died. But... A lot of the members of Jabba's palace stayed back and even after episode six were waiting for another hut to take Jabba's place at Jabba's palace. And so over time, nobody came. So this Malakili guy looking and seeking purpose goes out and decides to try and make something for himself to find purpose. And so he's heading to Mos Pelgo and he gets sort of uh, jumped by these mining conglomerate raiders and stuff and, and then Cobb Vanth shows up. Okay, so Malakili gets kind of knocked on the ground and then in Life Debt, here's what happens. Here's where we see Cobb Vanth. You can get up, a voice, male, gruff, plain, clear. Another voice, a woman's voice. Relax, we're not raiders. We're law. Law on Tatooine? No such thing. The huts were the law. Jabba was law. But now, with Jabba dead, Malakili rolls over and sits up. There, a man in Mandalorian armor, the suit of it pocked and pitted and streaked with scars, armor that looks eerily familiar, and Malakili's innards clenched at the sight of it. A carbine hangs at the man's side. The man removes his helmet. His cheeks are lined with salt and pepper stubble. He winces against the double suns. I'm Cobb Vanth lawman and de facto mayor of what used to be Mos Pelgo. So he ends up kind of recruiting Malakili to come to Mos Pelgo. He has a a baby hut that he wants to have him kind of take care of and, and be the uh, the caretaker for, as well as uh, I believe some Rontos maybe that Malakili can kind of kind of watch after. So um, there's a lot more in this on kind of expanding on not only the, the mining conglomerate, but uh, Cobb Vanth on Tatooine sort of acting as the marshal of Mos Pelgo. So not a ton. These are just interlude chapters that, that uh, don't really interact too much with the main part of the Aftermath series, at least from what I remember. But I enjoyed kind of getting more information on Cobb Vanth from the Aftermath books and then having, seeing him, you know, on screen. It was a, it was a great connection. Yeah, it was a great refresh. Um, definitely, because that's stuff like I vaguely, vaguely remember, you know, Boba Fett armor coming up again, but I would have never remembered all these names and remember Cobb Banth until I saw it online. So, um, yeah, highly recommend the Aftermath series, but it's really cool that they pulled, you know, kept like that, because that's just, I mean, who knows at the time where they wrote the Aftermath, you know, trilogy, if they were you know, thinking about maybe bringing Cobb Banth into something or thinking about bringing Boba Fett into something in the future, or if it was just something fun they did, then they were like, oh yeah, that's the last time. Like, you know, it's the story group meets and it's like, okay, the armor is here. This has to be into the story. Um, yeah. And it's really, really cool character because he's just such a, he's like just that classic, like Western sheriff in town that, he just wants to do right by his people, and <laughs> yep. I don't know. He's cool. I like him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure how I felt about him at first, just as a character. But as the show went on and and you know the episode went on, I really kind of started to like him a little bit more. And definitely by the end, I thought he was pretty cool. Right. When you first saw his silhouette in the, like the doorway, mm-hmm. did you immediately think, "Oh my God, it's Boba Fett," or did you think like? Uh, something's off like I don't know if that's Boba Fett no I thought something was off like it he looked weird like I wasn't sure if it was gonna be Cobb Vanth or just like another random Mandalorian but like he looked really tall and skinny I was like that is not Boba Fett right and then when he's like yeah we'll have two you know things of Spotchka Amanda was like yeah that is definitely not a Mandalorian so I don't know (laughs) Spotchka yeah (laughs) Yeah, no, I I felt the same thing. I was I was screaming. I was like, Boba Fett? Is that going to be Boba Fett? Because you know you never know if they're going to recast or what. Mm-hmm. I knew something looked off, but I just didn't know what they were going to do. So I was like, is it just screaming at the top of my lungs? Is this going to be Boba Fett? It's his armor. <laughs> it's his armor. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Brandon's probably like, oh my god. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, there's almost a giant throwdown in this cantina in Mos Pelgo. If it wasn't interrupted for the crate dragon kind of destroying the town, kind of making its way through the town and to eat a bantha, um, there may have been a, a firefight out. Well, I don't know how much of a fight it would have been. It seemed like Mando had it pretty much under control. But there could have been some crazy things happening in that cantina. Um, Mando wants this armor, but they make a deal. They make a deal to destroy the crate dragon, and then Cobb Vanth will surrender Boba's armor to the Mando. And so the the you know I'm not going to go into all the details, but there's a giant battle with this crate dragon. They they recruit the help of the Tuscan Raiders, which of course was always cool to see. It reminds me of something Dave Floney said, which I know we mentioned on one of our previous shows. You know, kind of your your big brother took all the cool characters and you were able to sneak Boba Fett <laughs> out, but you had a bunch of these other no-name, you know, random uh, characters that not a lot of people wanted to play with, you know, the Ugna and the Jawas and the Tuscans. Right. And so we have Mando with Cobb Vanth out there with a bunch of Tuscan Raiders and Banthas in the middle of the Tatooine Desert taking on this crate dragon which i mean we've heard all the stories about the crate dragons we've seen them in video games like knights of republic and the bounty hunter game we've seen their skeletons in the sand and we finally get to see one in action and this crate dragon was crazy it was like shooting acid and stuff i've i've never seen that, was, that before i know i was so shocked that we because it's all we've ever seen bones at least for me because i've never played any of those other video games but uh, so we see those bones and they look huge and it looks crazy but it looks like something from like another time like that i wasn't sure if it was still like roaming around so it's just so massive so what a cool creature um that acid was disgusting but it was (laughs) terrifying it reminded me of like beetlejuice you know with the um whatever that thing is the sand monster mm-hmm. that eats them if they come out of the house but that's what it reminded me of it's just this thing that has this access to a whole realm that you don't have access to and it can pop up at any time and then it's like the largest creature that you could ever see like it, i don't know it was just really cool it also kind of reminded me of that space slug um yeah. from the originals yeah it's just so massive <laughs> I really enjoyed when it went up to sort of like the top part of its little cave and shot the acid from really high above. It reminded me of almost like Harry Potter world yeah. where like the dragons are up on top of the thing and they're like shooting I fire. That too. <laughs> it's like this is like an entrance to an amusement park ride. <laughs> but it's like shooting vomit, like acid <laughs> vomit. I so was not expecting that to be what was going to happen. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. I guess everything on Tatooine is kind of acidy. It it makes sense that it, it it's kind of cool that it, it's like the the local creatures have similar qualities of defense mechanisms, such as you know the sarlacc digesting you and its stomach acids for a thousand years. Yeah. So it's kind of a continuity thing. That was that was kind of cool. It makes sense. Yeah, and. If I heard right, that was a sarlacc. It was an emptied sarlacc pit that the right. crate dragon essentially ate the sarlacc 
At least that's what they oh, alluded to. Oh, I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't get that part. But yeah, that's funny. That makes yeah. sense. If anything could take on a sarlacc, it would be that thing. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy. And and one thing that I really liked about this is that this episode and this show, I guess, you know, even with season one, really humanizes the Tuscan Raiders. Yes. And that's not something that we got really from the films. Right. All we get is that they're just these brutal things that, you know, tortured and killed Anakin's mom and have, you know, there's everyone's just afraid of them. There's no communicating with them. You just have to you just have to avoid, you know, is all we've known about them. Yeah. And then Mando just shows up and is like, yeah, they they speak sign language. It's fine. Yeah. Well, even (laughs) um, Klieg Lars He's like they're vicious, mindless monsters, and, right. and they took they took Shmi, and you know we're we're meant to sort of view them as these savages, and that's not the way that we get them in this. They're they're just misunderstood. A certain know? point of view. Yeah, and that's a, a huge part of Star Wars, I think. Yeah. I also heard um, I don't know if this is true because it was it was literally like a, a random tweet that I don't know who tweeted it. Um, Amanda actually shared it. Uh, this morning on Facebook and I saw it and I shared it too that they hired um, they had a deaf person mm-hmm. um, help them develop the language for the Tuscan Raiders with all of their sign language so I thought that was really cool it was like authentic to American sign language yeah I think that was actually that guy I don't know what his name is he was the Tuscan in the first season when they do the sign language oh, and then I think legit? they yeah I think they brought him back for this for this season and he yeah he was in this one too so i like that they're you know star wars is being inclusive it's another sort of area to be proud of as far as you know having handicapped people involved which is awesome it was cool too because mando could like he made their same sound so like obviously their, their communication is like a mix between the like the grunting sounds and the and the sign language and he actually like made the sounds too which was cool to hear coming from him yeah yeah i mean he's a very talented person you know he's able to communicate with all these different species he's this crazy bounty hunter like he's just he's got it yep and he's peacemaker (laughs) yeah what i really like too about this episode and this series as a whole and we talked a little bit about r5 being in it going back to tatooine kind of having all these throwbacks to previous parts of star wars but we got the massives in this one too the creatures that the tuscans have like the dog-like creatures um we first saw them in episode two and now we get them back in this i'm like this is awesome this is so cool that they're bringing these characters back and these creatures back and also the speeder that Cobb Vanth was driving around on was one of Anakin's pod racer engines oh you think it, it was Anakin's for sure I'm pretty sure yeah that's so cool yeah because as soon as you hear that sound it's so iconic that I was like ah oh, a pod racer speeder yeah that's so cool yeah the the front part is definitely Anakin so I've you know uh. it's been a bunch of years since episode one so it's you know it's probably gone through a few changes but even the sound it makes as it's flying around and the whole front of it is identical to to anakin's so that's really cool yeah and the last we heard of it is mom we sold the pod look how much money we have you know in episode one so yeah somewhere uh cool i guess they scrapped it for parts and made it into (laughs) a bunch of speeders (laughs) whatever they sold it to yeah and then Speaking of like the other, like, you know, I guess Easter eggs, if you will, um, in the beginning on whatever planet they were at the beginning with the Gamorrean fight, um, when he leaves the Cyclops guy (laughs) kind of for dead in the street, um, under that street light, he like strings him up by his ankles. Mm -hmm. There's all those creatures where you just see their eyes in the beginning and then he he shoots the light and then it were to, you know, understand that they all came out and probably ate that guy. Yeah. Do you think those were fear knocks? They looked smaller than fear knocks to me. I I think the glowing eyes definitely resemble a fear knock, but to right? me they looked more like these creatures have, looked like, more like rodenty, like they were like big rodents with red eyes. Yeah, I don't know. 
True. It just, I guess, the darkness thing, because that was part of their thing, right? They had it had to be dark, yeah, mm-hmm. for them to come out. So that just it reminded me of that. Maybe it's like a subspecies of Fyrdok. <laughs> yeah. One other thing too, kind of going to the crate dragons with all these Easter eggs, is the pearl that the Tuscans find, and that's something from Knights of the Republic, which I totally forgot about. And my friend Dan was over watching this episode with me, and he's like. Oh, are they going to find the pearl? Are they going to find the pearl? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then the Tuscan like brought the pearl up and was like screaming about it. I'm that's like, wow, so funny. That's cool. I, I forgot about that from the game. So that's such a deep, like a deep specific nod. Like how cool that they would include something like that. Because like for me, someone who didn't play all those old video games, or I don't really know much about the old, you know, um, EU. Like I saw that part and I was like, that has to be something that somebody's excited about but i do not know what that is and like brandon was like is it a pearl and i was like i don't, I don't know but they made a big deal out of it so it must be something i we were wondering if it was like an egg like did they find its egg like i was thinking of like the jawas with like suga yeah like seems like all these crazy what? species on on tatooine are after circular objects that can be yeah. extracted from these crazy monstrous <laughs> creatures true but very cool deep cut yeah so they obviously kill the crate dragon uh throughout this fight though i thought it was pretty cool to see mando and Cobb vanth flying around on their jetpacks doing the mando thing and at the end kind of right before they kill it i thought it was hilarious that mando kicked Cobb vanth's jetpack and sent him flying in the air unwillingly yeah. which was very much a throwback to han solo hitting boba fett's jetpack that sent him into the sarlacc pit um, perfect <laughs> yep so a lot of great throwbacks um in this one and and i'm excited to see where it goes but at the end of this jesse we get mando who fulfills his promise to Cobb vanth right they got this crate dragon dead the village should be saved and so Cobb vanth surrenders this armor to the mandalorian so now mando din Djarin, is driving away on his speeder bike with Boba's armor as we see sort of the twin sun setting with a figure watching what's going on watching the speeder bike fly away turns around Tamora Morrison is standing there we're led to believe this is Boba Fett watching everything happen watching Mando drive off with his armor which I'm sure he wants back right. um <laughs> like this story is just insane this was this was the baby yoda moment of season two i know that's what i was thinking too because especially because you know we saw you know i thought initially that seeing Cobb vanth in boba fett's armor that that was going to be what the boba fett rumor was all about you know yeah. like i was no longer looking for boba fett at this point i was like cool he survived maybe he'll show up you know later um but i'm i was like i'm so glad that this Boba Fett like rumor was presented to us in this totally different way that I totally wasn't expecting. Um, and then they went and like flipped that again on its head and like added a whole extra layer of what I personally was not expecting to have him just show up. Like what? So- <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I really, I was excited to see him. I know I don't know if how many people are excited. I know sometimes I mean it's a, it's Boba Fett. It's a, it's a popular character so I think, you know, with it being with it being him and like with the legends, you know, obviously he didn't die in the Sarlacc. He survived the Sarlacc and so maybe a lot of people are excited now. But, you know, some of these really popular characters are making resurgences. Darth Maul being one of them as well, you know, being in Clone Wars and Solo and all that. Um, Rebels, but I think with Fett, I mean, I know some people were like, oh yeah, Tamora Morrison's going to be in it and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, whatever. But Boba, this is a perfect place to bring him back with being the Mandalorian show, and there have been a bunch of statues out there and uh, sideshow pieces of what's called a Mythos Boba Fett and Mythos line. There's an Obi-Wan as well, but it's kind of him. Um, I know the, the Obi-Wan one is has a bunch of other gadgets and things like that, kind of him walking through the desert on Tatooine. But this really reminded me of the Mythos Boba Fett 
He's got the gaffy stick on his back. He's got the Tuscan rifle. Um, it looks like his face might have been a little scarred or, or, you know, damaged or something. Or maybe it's just old age. I don't know. But he's got this really intense look on his face. Um, which he of did course, go through a you know, sarlacc pit. Yep. <laughs> got so, me a little messed up. <laughs> yeah. I'm just very excited about the way that he looks. And I just, I want like all the Boba Fett toys right now. Like I want a toy of <laughs> Boba Fett in his outfit that we just saw him in. Like I just I want it right now. It's so cool. He's good bald. He just looks like this crazy guy. You don't want to, you don't want to cross. I know. I'm so excited. He just, I'm just so excited that they got the same actor that it, it wasn't like, you know, I was wondering almost if it was going to be Daniel Logan, which would have been fine, too, because he is Boba Fett, but it makes more sense. Um, for what's his name? I honestly don't know. Did you Tamora, say it again? Tamora Morrison. Tamora Morrison. Mm-hmm. I love that they got Tamora Morrison because, obviously, he's a clone, so it makes sense yeah. for him to look exactly like that as he grows up. But, like, it's, it's you know, I haven't seen his face in a long time. We don't get to see a lot of old clones um so because you know he, he's the only clone that didn't have the speed um the sped up growth, the growth acceleration yes so he's probably one of the only really old clones besides 99 that we'll ever see so it like took me a second like i mean I, you saw it you knew it was boba fett but i had to pause it and go and look at his face and i was like it is it's the same guy it's the yeah. exact same <laughs> guy um so so cool. I had to convince Brandon that it was the same guy, too, because he he was like, that doesn't look like the cartoons. And I was like, because it's the real guy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the guy who played Django Fett, you know, right, right. And Cody. So funny. Yep. Yeah. So well, this cool. is this is what I was saying to to some of my co-workers and I could be totally wrong on this. I don't know. It depends on how big a part Boba will play in this season. But I was, and I am, expecting this story to take a break. I'm expecting Mando to kind of go off with Boba's armor. And Boba, maybe not to be in it for a couple more episodes. You know? He'll come in later in the season. I don't think we're going to, you know, first, first scene of second episode, I don't think we're going to see Boba Fett like all angry or anything but who knows i've been surprised before but as far as you know dinjarin is concerned he found the mandalorian that he was sent to look for and other people just didn't know mm-hmm. that he's not a true mandalorian you know um he found the armor that he ha- was rumored for um so i want his radar is probably totally off tatooine now and i wonder too like you said earlier that you know maybe Boba Fett wants that armor back but what if he doesn't like why would Boba Fett when he gets climbs out of the Sarlacc pit do you think he might have purposely abandoned his armor to like evade everything the fall of the empire to evade the new republic since he was a big part in our main hero's journey you know Han Solo everyone knows about him Luke could be after him I wonder if his head, he survived and he abandoned the armor on purpose. My gut tells me that's not the case, but I don't know. I mean, Mandalorian armor is so important to the person wearing it. I mean, we've seen how much history the armor has for these people. And that was the armor, at least from what I remember, I don't know if it's totally true or not, but that was his father's armor. I think Boba's armor is Jango's armor repainted. So I think having something with you for so long and without it, you probably would have died in the Sarlacc pit. Um, I would think that he would want the armor back, but I don't know. Yeah, having it be his dad's armor, that is a connection that I, I would say it would be difficult for him to leave behind. But he's not, he's also just like not, he's a clone. So he's a clone of a Mandalorian, but I don't think he has that same... You know, he wasn't, he didn't grow up on Mandalore. I'm sure his father, you know, obviously 
you know, told, talk to him about Mandalore and, and warriors and things like that. But I wonder if he just doesn't have as deep of a connection to it as even Din Djarin, who is a foundling, or it seems like it, he was, you know, grown up and drilled in all these like rules. And here's the law, here's the, you know, the history of Mandalore. He knows everything, even if he's not, you know, a blood Mandalorian. I wonder if Django taught him all that same stuff or if he just kind of grew up kind of disconnected from it like you know like a kid whose parents like immigrate from one country to another and they're born in america like yeah they know that they're from another country and they know a bit about it but they're american you know like kind of that thing yeah well the other thing that i'm not totally sure on and and i don't know if there's been an official ruling on this or not but there's been some speculation as to whether or not Django fett was actually a Mandalorian, because I think he was like adopted or something, kind of like Din Djarin. So I guess in that mm. case, he would be a Mandalorian if he was adopted. But uh, in the Clone Wars, when they're kind of referring to Jango Fett, uh, Prime Minister Almac said that Jango Fett was a bounty hunter and he has no idea how he came across the Mandalorian armor. So I don't know if Django, I don't know if there's an official Lucasfilm ruling on if Django Fett is a true Mandalorian or not. I don't know. But the other question I have is, does Boba know where his armor was? And if he knew the Jawas had it, do you think he would have gone in there to take it back? Or maybe he didn't know where it was. Maybe the Jawas went in and scavenged the, the Sarlacc and maybe Boba was either already gone or he got out after his armor was, you know, scavenged by Jawas. I don't know. We don't we don't know about that whole that whole topic. I do agree. I don't think he's going to show up right away again. I think it's like we know he's alive. We got this hint of him. It would make sense for him to be part of the story later. Um, it would be cool to know more about all that stuff we just speculated with. Is he Mando? Is he not a true Mandalorian? Does he care about the armor? Does he not care about the armor? Where does Boba Fett stand on all of that? would be mm-hmm. really cool to learn. But at the same time, I wouldn't be bothered if this was it. You know? Like, Boba's alive. We have his armor. Mandalorian has reclaimed his armor. Because this is the way. Mm-hmm. And Boba Fett is not a true Mando. So he... Like, what would Boba Fett truly know about finding the Jedi or finding the Yoda species? Um, How would that particular Mandalorian truly help him? I feel like he needs, like, like a Sabine Mandalorian. Not that he needs to find Sabine, but, you know, like somebody who really truly knows about Mandalore and knows about the history of Mandalorians with the Jedi, things like that. I don't know. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just like, yo... Boba Fett's alive. This is really cool. We have his armor now, but maybe they save that. Story <laughs> I think for we're gonna get. I think that. we're gonna get more. I think. I, I think we we will get uh, a heavier dose of Boba Fett as the series goes on. It was too much of a tease for them just to be like, okay, we're done. So true. But here's my final question on this episode. We talked a little bit on our preview episode about Fennec Shand and that whole scene where someone walked up to her body as it was laying there at the end of episode five. And there was some speculation. It was on Tatooine. Is that Boba Fett? Who went back after Fennec Shand? Knowing that now Boba Fett is a part of this story, does that change your opinion on who went after Fennec Shand? I still think, I feel like it's Boba Fett. I think that would be, that way of bringing him back into the story would almost make more sense to me than him, you know, being a key to finding where the baby should go, where the child should go, um, bringing him back into the story. Because Boba Fett, he's a bad guy. He's a bounty hunter. He's a bad guy. Maybe he's turned a new leaf since spending some years in a Sarlacc, but... um, He's always been, even among bounty hunters, even among Ventress, he's like the worst of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if he caught up with an assassin and they team up and become a part of the story in like a bad guy kind of way. Yeah. Okay. Um, Any final thoughts on the Marshal? 
I was just blown away by this episode. I felt like I just kept, when I thought it couldn't get any better, it just kept getting better. And I just want to thank the Dave Filoni and the John Favreau for doing this for us and everyone at Lucasfilm who's involved because this is some of the best, like The Mandalorian has been some of the best Star Wars mm-hmm. um, of our time. Just not that, not to, I just, it's just the storytelling, everything about it, the music, everything. It's just so, so great, so captivating. It's so unpredictable, fun and new. Yeah. I just love it. I think for me, this has been the most anxious and eager I've been for the next episode of a Star Wars show to come out that I've than I've yeah. ever been excited for. I mean, with Rebels and Clone Wars, it's like, okay, yeah, that was an awesome episode. Another episode next week. Looking forward to it. But this one's like, okay, you just left me with that. I need the next episode <laughs> immediately. Like, I want it now. Right. Um, it's like yeah. you were getting half of a Star Wars movie every I single know. week. Like a full hour <laughs> of live action Star Wars new every single week. Yeah. Like we've had a lot of animated series and we love all of them, but to have live action new every week is really cool. Yeah. Well, we would like to know what your thoughts on the Mandalorian episode one of season two, the Marshall are. So if you would like to uh, shoot us over your thoughts on social media, we'd love to see them. Jesse, if people want to send us their thoughts, where can they do that? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube all under the same handle at twin sons outpost. All right. And if you're looking for places to listen to our show, you can find us on our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left-hand side. You'll find all of our episodes there. You can also find us on the Star Wars podcast app through the Google Play Store and on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this episode and you think we're pretty wizard, go ahead and give us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to episode 187, where we talked about chapter 9, The Marshal of the Mandalorian. We'll be back again next week to discuss chapter 10. And as always, may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the Hutt. Rendezvous point on Halloween. This time you are not a familiar thing.